0: Well now, if I click this, it should be live. Uh, Marvellous. Um, hello, everyone. Good evening. Um, is everyone there? This is going to be uh, tight. I'm not convinced we're going to finish the series this time round. Uh, it might be another episode we have to squeeze in, which we'll do so as a summary. I think we might finish the report, but we won't finish the summer The kind of the, the overall summary and a reminder. Um, Anyway, uh, let's 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 get on with it, shall we? Um apologies my voice is a bit weird. I'm still not 100%. I've I've got through all the whatever the illness was that I've had, but um but I, I also haven't done much talking today because I've been focusing on a submission. Mm. Um but I'm all right. Yeah. I feel fine. I feel absolutely fine. Um for the most part, do not much appetite. So, oh, yeah, I've basically eaten very very little since Sunday. Uh, remarkably small amount since Sunday, actually. And it's now Wednesday, which is a bit strange. I'm sure I'll be absolutely fine for the filming that I'm doing tomorrow. Anyway, uh, let's get on with it. So, what are we starting with? Uh, it's the COVID stats. The COVID stats, um, as ever, like to keep on top of these. Rail is just basically bouncing between 75 and 80%. It's, we're very much just like cycling in that, in that range now, so there's... Seventy-five and there's eighty, we're kind of very much in that range. Uh, da, 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 so there's eighty and seventy-five. Just you know to annotate it for no reason with my scribbly handwriting. Um, it's not COVID. No, I don't have COVID. So, uh, cycling uh, nicely bouncing back upwards, which is which is good uh road vehicle usage is doing some weird stuff not quite sure why it's doing that we'll see how that normalizes the data might get updated um the holiday possibly you know the easter the easter doesn't fall the same time every year so that that screws things up potentially that's also why buses have been a bit weird uh, you can see bus buses being weird um, rail, you can see, again, it's, it's it's climbing up. It might exceed, in fact, in all likelihood, it will. Ex- so at the moment, we're sitting exactly at 80%. We might exceed, that means that we might exceed 80% when they update the figures. Anyway, so that's good. That's the COVID stats. Let's crack on to the news. Um, firstly, strike time. The RMT are planning to call, they're, they're balloting 40,000 members to call what might end up being the, um, the biggest, rail strike in modern history which is which is fun um go if you're in the RMT vote in favor of the strike frankly it's about time the rail the the it's about time government realized that, that and, and people realized how much uh, stuff is being squeezed under the radar in terms of service cuts and uh, you know safety critical staff being cut um, but also it'd be nice if the TSSA got involved and if Aslef got involved, basically it'd be good if all of the kind of, all of the, the transport unions, the rail unions got involved in this one. I don't know what the law, Blair, Thatcher, and all of the sort of basically Thatcher and post Thatcher prime ministers have smashed the unions. So to what extent other unions are allowed to do stuff at the same time? I don't know how, it works. I don't I don't know, I don't, other people can inform me, but it'd be nice if all the other unions came out in support, frankly um i'm keen to strike i'll do it anyway uh, so if you're in the rmt uh make sure you get hold of that ballot and, and vote in favor anyway so um uh let's do this thing uh oh gareth williams i don't know actually if they'll sent non rail staff the vote uh, presumably not but uh, i'm not not sure anyway um right uh, more new trains that don't fit C2C, you know, good for them. New trains, it's been a while, um, but uh, so you know, they've, they've got these new trains, lovely. But they are they're aventras, they're they're aventras, uh, which means that they uh, the train has a has a footstep here, whereas the platform is of course built built here. So this is uh, here we are. This is uh, if you've got the the, the train. Here's the, here's a wheel. And you've got the the running edge. There's the running edge. Why is it on the outside of the uh, anyway? You, you, you get the gist. Uh, this distance is um, this is nine fifteen, uh, or should be. And this distance up to here, so that's that distance there, nine fifteen. Uh, this distance up to up to the footstep is around about eleven hundred, um, which and, and that's about you know, the the floor is even higher on the train. This is bad, folks. Why are we designing, why are we still, when we know that we can have trains that have a footstep here, why are we procuring still procuring trains that have a footstep here? Well, we know why. It's because these trains are horribly delayed because the Bombardier reasons. Um, so they're only, only arriving now when they should have been arriving uh, in the back end of 2020 or whatever it's supposed to be. In any case, they are here, so yes, maybe, I mean, yes, new train, but this is this is bad, bad. Um, right. Uh, so that's that's not good. Morning trains that don't fit. Um, right. This was fun. Uh, Man did no research and he got owned. Uh, Simon Parker well, it seems an, I don't know. I don't know anything about him. I'd never heard of him until um, a couple of days ago. Um, uh, yes. So uh, but he published a piece. He wrote a little just like a little piece um, pushing his book. And the way he thought to push a book, and push a load of people to pay attention to his book was to write a controversial piece on HS2 in varied commas. Uh, as you can see, is seeing here a, a very controversial subject. Well, only controversial because okay, there there are two there are two options here for this bad. This is a dreadful piece of nonsense saying somehow to scrap the HS2 and and, and build uh, build a cycle route all the way from the top of Scotland to the bottom of the... to do Land's End John groups, basically. Um, this, this makes no sense on a number of levels, and I'm not even going to get into it. But... Um, uh, oh, my goodness, mate. The, 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 so, so, uh, uh, so uh, there you are. In today's I paper, I'm arguing this. I'm arguing that we should uh, cancel supermarkets in favour of takeaway food. Okay, okay? That doesn't make any sense. Um, essentially... We should be striving to slow down rather than speed. All the standard bollocks. Now, either this man did no research um, and uh, published this piece in good faith, sort of thinking that he understood the topic and, and published it and thought it was going to be a, yeah, a win with everyone, or um, he knew that this was a load of nonsense. He was picking on standard repeated sound bites to try and get a reaction. Um, actually, it's probably both, but in the latter case... Um, This is interesting because it's quite clear then that that was, um, uh, look at this, Simon gauged opinion on HS2 while cycling around uh, these miles around Britain. Fascinating. I can promise you that that is just not even remotely reflective. In fact, I know it's not because there's this thing called general elections which happen, which represent how people actually feel about it. Anyway, um, it's just, just, this piece is rubbish. It's a load of rubbish um so anyway well what's funny is that rather than rather than acknowledging that the piece is a load of rubbish um he then tweeted a very controversial subject it's not controversial mate literally everyone on Twitter who read the piece and saw the piece pointed out that you were speaking rubbish um so it got ratioed horribly all of these are um they're all quote tweets these are all replies it's got not many likes uh for a piece like this uh, and then likewise like this tweet this was then again like, Twenty-five people telling him he's an idiot. Two people caught tweeting, and then seventy. It's just not. Anyway, it makes me angry. Talking of things that make me angry. Um. Oh man, this was this was very frustrating. Talking of things that make me angry. The Labour Party here citing Fair Fuel UK, pop, well-known right-wing reactionary nasties. Uh, really not good. Just literally, look, taking lines directly from Fair Fuel UK in their tweets. So, uh, thanks to Neve. Um, let's break this down. Labour has urged ministers to get on with their jobs. So, where are we? Get on with their jobs and called for immediate nationwide injunctions. Cause misery for motorists. Highlighting data. This is the scary bit. Highlighting data from the campaign for Fair Fuel. Ministers need to sort it. Oh, my goodness, me. Uh, uh, Labour's Steve Reed uh, argued that ministers need to sort it out. Um oh my goodness. It's just this is this so, This is it's just really very frustrating to see Labour doing this sort of thing. Um this this sort of thing like like just just referring to Fair Fuel UK. Fair, Fair Fuel UK like lobby against LTNs, they lobby against public transport. They are they're nasties. They're they're, they're nasty people. Fairfuel UK, uh, they also have ties to right, really nasty right-wing groups. Like, Fairfuel UK is not an organisation to get anywhere near. They should be repudiated at every possible opportunity. So Labour citing them. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> uh, let's go back to the railway for a moment. Um, uh, The ORR are pointing out that um, uh, the May 2018 timetable Table collapse is on track for a rerun. Hooray! So, um, yeah, uh, they've sent a letter, a sternly worded letter um, to, the, uh, to Network Rail and to, gov- to the DFT, um, setting out the point that both the, uh, the West Coast Mainline and East Coast Mainline timetable projects um, are reaching crucial decision-making points and lots of things haven't been done. Uh, government has not achieved lots of things. Which means that we've got another May twenty eighteen on its way. Hooray! Because that's exactly what happened in May 2018 that caused the timetable collapse. Fantastic. Will it kill off Grant Chaps? Yeah, probably not. Talking of which. So, uh, I've been I think I've been fairly balanced on this, um, because I know lots of people have worked hard on, on, on sorting this out. Uh, some of them very uh, close friends of mine. But, but, a variety of buts. Firstly, what the hell was Shaps doing in the, in the, like, people who don't, people cannot take themselves seriously and be in adverts and it can be charming when they are also good people. Shaps is not good people. He is also, like, you can appear in these sorts of videos where you take the mickey out of yourself if you're doing everything you can to help the industry. But actually, this is a frankly a token effort that achieves very little in terms of all of what the industry needs to happen. Um, the actual the rail sale itself is the biggest ticket sale in privatisation history, and actually is interesting for all sorts of reasons. It sets a pre- potentially useful precedent in terms of how it's achieved. A lot of work had to go into doing it, showing how much of a mess the fare system is. Fine. Um, on the flip side of that, Gwyn Toppin points out that only about one percent of all journeys taken will benefit from the promotion. Um, it's targeted at intercity travel at quiet times, meaning you know commuters won't just not see really any reduction in fares. Fine, also fine. Um, it, it, it finishes before the holidays, which is also frustrating. Um, the, so I yeah, there, there are lots of mixed mixed feelings on this. I was on Radio Leeds, uh, BBC Radio Leeds, talking about it, and I was like, look, it's a good thing because any 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 reduction in fares is a good thing. And it's worth pointing out that these have been snapped up. You know, it's, it, 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 these aren't useless. Uh, these aren't useless. You know, it's not, there's not been a, a vain attempt because all of these fares, all of these, like, free fares, are get, or sorry, reduced fares have been snapped up very, very rapidly. So there is clearly a demand for it. Anyway, let, let, look on the optimistic side. It's a precedent for more of this to happen. The, the, the cynic in me is this is another opportunity for, well what i've been saying when people have been asking me for a line on this is that it wouldn't treasury would not have allowed this to happen if it had any meaningful impact on fair revenue um so we'll um, we'll leave it at that shall we oh crikey, yes um uh, not sure how much i can really say about this uh uh yes let's see yeah I, I agreed on lots of your thoughts on this um uh, yes also we, the uk definitely needs a climate ticket Abs- absolutely david bumstead Um, Lubo takes a C at the speed of an H. Yes. Uh, Again, not sure how much I can say about this other than all of the talk about it being an emergency stop is nonsense. Why? Where on earth did that come from? Uh, I'm sure there was an emergency stop uh, or at least a a heated, desperate stop and a very vigorous brake application. But that's not the reason why people have been thrown around in this train um i have not paid much attention to this story so i don't exactly know how much is public but it was nothing to do with an emergency stop i can tell you now um so uh, for those in audio only mode you you got you got this in um in fact everyone both those seeing and listening i've given you the hint i'm not going to say any more as to what happened here um uh right anyway so next oh that's interesting scott rail really just announced their own half price sale as well that's good um uh, Michael C. This comes back to you, to what I was saying about uh, drivers having faith in the infrastructure. Absolutely. Um, what's this story about, Sakura? I'm not going to say any more about it, but do some googling. And you should be able to put two and two together. Um, I'm not going to say much more because I'm, I'm too delirious and knackered and I've been chasing a... Uh, uh, chasing a... Bob's Rail Relics has just absolutely given me the worst earworm he possibly could have. Thanks, Bob's Rail Relics. Um... No, Bob's Rail Rex could be a they. Not sure if you are a he. Actually, apologies. Um. Anyway, oh, yes. Well, I, I I'm just ex- I'm I'm very broken at the moment. Submissions and, and brain empty. So I don't know what, what what is public and what isn't. So I'm not saying anymore. Anyway. Ah, oh, from that to a rather horrifyingly bleak image. Uh, hopefully far away enough that it's not going to cause anyone any uh, upset. But this is uh we're, we've got to remind ourselves why we're here. We're working our way through um quite a um yeah quite a quite an unpleasant uh but a very important subject and, and and going through the report and picking out what we can it's already quarter past let's see what we can get through in in the next 50 minutes um thanks bob's very right you are he him lovely um so let's uh yeah let's let's get on with it shall we um oh actually you no, what i need to just double check before i before i um break things is make sure that yes it is good fine Let's get on with it, shall we? Um, See you on the other side, everyone. As the Intercity 225 fades away... Uh, first things first, need to say, um, uh, what do I need to say? I need to say, uh, I'm not going to sing that song, Bob's Rail Relics, because I think it'll put an earworm into everyone's ears. Secondly, shout out to Peter from Cross Country. Let's go big face briefly. Hello, Peter from Cross Country. Hello, I'm going to be hopping onto your, uh, are there any delays at the moment on the system? I hope that tra- that train's probably started. I don't know where it starts from. Chances are, in fact, it definitely will be, because it's probably in, what time is it? 1960s, probably... Halfway between Edinburgh and Newcastle right now. If it came from that direction, I don't know if it's a Newcastle starter. In any case, I'm hopping on that train to get to Birmingham. So fingers crossed for me. Eight forty-four. Hence why I have to jump out of here. Um, it can't be. I was going to be. I was hoping to do a slightly longer one, but I can't do a longer one because um, I don't have enough time. Anywho, um, uh, everyone's all fading away. Let's let let's get on with this, shall we? Uh, so this is. Uh, without let's get my little face up uh, yeah this is a continuation of our of our comment derailment series so so I suppose it's this is this is the fourth in the whole series if you include the interim report but it's the this is the third the previous one was in, was it, uh, two weeks ago episode 108 and um, uh, it's continuing to be uh, mistitled. This was supposed to be a single episode page turn and it's escalated to being a, a three-page page turn with a summary, right? Let's see if we can get through the report. And it's worth it though, because it, this is this—it's this, this not an event that happens regularly and it's important that I think we, we focus on um, on everything we can learn out of it. And then it's an interesting, you know, I've been, myself, I've been picking up and learning interesting things out of looking through, you know, breaking it down in the detail we have and discussing it with you all. Um it's going through Almuth uh, at the moment. It, 1M00, 1mic00 is currently going through Almouth, and Peter is asking if I want it to be delayed. Well, I mean, yeah, no, 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 I don't want to delay it. I just need to make sure I leave in time. So lots to learn. Um, a reminder, and I'm just going to say it again, content warning that the, the, the this is going to include descriptions and images from rail crashes. That If that's something that is upsetting to you, then um, that's absolutely fair enough. Um, this episode might not be for you, uh, I think this episode is probably going to be the most um, the most unpleasant uh, from this perspective because the, we're going to get into the, some quite vivid descriptions of the damage that happened to the train and the impact that had on on the thankfully few people inside that train. So so yeah, um, definitely. So. Um, uh, it's going to be yeah. So we, we're we're gonna, we're going to go through. But we, before we do that, we've got some other bits and pieces within the report that we're going to go through. So as a quick reminder, in fact, yeah, let's just let's just let's just let's just sink straight into the into the document, shall we? So so here it is. This is where we were last time. Um, going to go full screen again. Uh, we're going to start with a with an issue that's l- less about crashworthiness and more about um. Uh, a feature of modern trains, or a feature of all trains really. Certainly, more recent tra- 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 trains, trains of the last sort of hundred years really have had had lifeguards or, or similar features fitted. Um, so this is the this is a uh, protection of the front wheel set. HST lifeguards are like a, a, a little sort of metal uh, lump. Uh, yeah, you can see them fitted here. This is the lifeguard um, fitted uh, to trains. I, I'm not sure exactly when they were mandated. I don't. Was it Pullman that, that encouraged? I think it was possibly. It was before Pullman. Pullman, 1984, big crash. Beast got underneath the wheels of a train, derailed it horribly um, between Edinburgh and Glasgow. Um, I think it was before that, though. Um, In any case... um yeah, so the, the, the lifeguards, the, the, the point being made by here, consideration other issues. So these are other factors that are they're here. The HST lifeguards were less robust than those on more modern trains. Although a stronger modern lifeguard may have been better to able to move sufficient washout, debris out the path of the leading wheel set to prevent the derailment, RAIB had sufficient evidence to determine the likelihood of this happening. So this is a bit of a mixed bag. The reality is that there was a, a lot of material and and a lifeguard being able to shift it out of the way. They don't believe that it was... Um, uh, it's they it's, they can't really confidently say it either way so Um, yeah heavy metal brackets fitted immediately in front of the leading wheels of a train Uh, so there's a picture I just showed you can see there there there, there's there's some it's mounted uh, onto the front of the front of the leading bogey there's kind of minimal clearance to the rail to make sure that nothing too big can get underneath and underneath the wheel um, to minimize the risk of derailment they're reasonably robust but there's only so much that you can do with a with the feature that's mounted onto the onto the bogey like that there's only it can only be so strong right Um, so uh there we are so there's uh, discussion here about um clearance uh here the clearance of the lifeguards above rail level on the leading power car could not be measured due to the damage they sustained in the accident the clearance on the trailing power car was measured by rbs 58 millimeters for both lifeguards uh the normal operate and that's that's kind of halfway within the the normal operating range so that's so that's fine so this distance here at the bottom here between the top of the rail and the bottom of the of the um, the lifeguard was 58 millimeters, probably around that much. Um, so uh, there's there's standard, kind of required by modern standards. Um, it, the the one on the HST was designed before the introduction of the of the 1994 um, structural requirements for railway vehicles. That, by the way, was the was the the point at which modern crashworthiness features start to be introduced. Before that, it was luck of the draw. After that. They're, they're, you know, trains built after july 90 you know, to comply with the 94 standard not necessarily built after that date, but to comply with that standard are uh, substantially more robust than trains built before then um uh so yeah i, I think we can kind of whiz through this because they it, it's there's, there's lots of information here that you know the lifeguards were severely damaged um but probably as a result of the the, the strike of the bridge parapet so so there's a so there's, there's, a, there's a discussion of the depth. Uh, essentially, there's just nothing. You can see the damage here. This is the front. of the, This is why I talked about the content warning. This is the damage to the front to the to the leading uh, bogey. You can see the huge amount of damage that, that's happened here. You know, the impact, the, the, the debris, the, the, the damage from the rocks, the shearing, that's it just a, a real mess. Um, and absolutely, yeah, the lifeguards have been severely damaged here. Um, so, so there's there's no they, they just don't have enough evidence. So here's another factor. So we're jumping around a bit here because these are kind of all the sweep up things that that are kind of of the, the kind of the things that led to the derailment rather than confound kind of added to it. So, um, uh, network rail's process for initiate the next one is maintenance and inspection of the drain. Network rail's process for initiating the inspection and maintenance of new drainage works had not been correctly applied. Consequently, it's likely that the upper section of the The drainage system, if you remember from last time we talked about drainage a lot, had um, uh, never been inspected since its uh, completion. Actually, no, we talked about the drainage system in the the preceding episode, the first episode of this, didn't we? Um, Although RAIB has found no evidence to suggest that such an inspection would have changed the outcome, this cannot be entirely discounted. Whether or not, relevant to the accident, the absence of proper inspection of a safety-critical asset is of great concern absolutely it just had never been inspected at any point since installation this is a serious problem again i'm going to whiz through this because these are kind of small uh, limited limited effects but I, i'd recommend you go and have a read through this it's the fact that it was um you know there was information stored in, in ellipse which is the infrastructure maintenance database um uh yeah so there's the, da, 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 da. and survey team visited the the area um but only the, the the kind of the drainage near the railway being constructed they recorded the parts that had already been installed but they didn't record anything else uh, in 2022 members of network rail staff based at perth um carried out an inspection of drainage assets in the area um this is the first inspection as part of the next uh, program of of drain condition inspections that have been um, instigated um but it only included the drain below kind of uh, you know that lower part which uh, kind of below the bond and and and, and that catch catch pit uh, 18 there um because that no other assets were actually listed in ellipse the inspection team did not and were not required to climb further up the steep gorse covered slope to seek additional assets so they didn't find any evidence of washout related features upslope of um, of that catch pit um uh, uh that any of the washout related features upslope of cp18 had resulted in flooding or deposition of debris in the area inspected downslope um yeah, when construction was completed, the rest of the drainage system should have been put into ellipse, but it was not, and um, and therefore, yeah, this is this is this is the because of the asset uh, introduction failure, the failure that built to be added, um, and and as a result, there was no inspection afterwards, which is which is a, a you know obviously a, obviously a failing. Uh, this is related really, then that connects up to the next entry here, which is to do the health and safety file, which is a mandatory again. This is a CDM issue. The health and safety file has to be. Um, has to be updated. There has to be a health and safety file for every project that Network Rail uh, manages, um, and uh, particularly in terms of, of, of new bits of, of infrastructure asset. And no such health and safety file existed for the the drainage works. That includes ads built, but it includes other feet, you know, are other things that, that the construction design management uh, guidance requires. The legislation requires to be um, to be stored. Uh, within the health and safety file for any particular physical works um yeah da, 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 da. cdm regulations um the cdm coordinator is a network rail employee in practice are always taken by a network rail infrastructure project at an organizational level yep uh da, 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 da. um and yeah, I, I think you can read through this but suffi- suffice to say that lack of health and safety file means that um it was difficult, you know, that in turn didn't trigger Ellipse to get updated properly, which meant that only what was kind of visually inspected by the by the passing inspection was was collected. So they didn't look at that. They didn't spot that bund that was really the cause of the failure. Um, uh, yes, so the process needed, so so RIRB concluded that the process needed to generate as-built drawings could have led to a recognition of the critical differences between the design and the installed drainage system, as we did a, a couple, you know, uh what is it four episodes ago now um however even had the health and safety file and associated as built uh drawings been captured by network rails record center it seems unlikely that this would have led the asset management or maintenance team to identify the risk created by the deficient installation this is because they would have had no reason to examine the file and drawings until it was necessary to carry out further construction work at that location yep fair point um but it's a wider representation of the fact that the uh proper processes hadn't been followed and it didn't end up in the asset management database. Um, and, and RAIB have asked about health and safety files at other locations, so that's 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 presumably then being actioned. The uh, the extreme weather action team meetings, these are being considered as well. Um, customer practice in Scotland's route control meant that extreme weather action team meetings were not always convened when required by network Rail's processes, and no such meeting was called on the 11th or 12th of August despite forecasts of severe weather. However... Even had one of these calls been convened, it's considered unlikely that Network Rail would have taken the actions needed to avoid the accident. So, again, I think we can jump through this. We, we talked a lot about this uh, last time, so two episodes ago in, the, in this. Um, Gareth Williams, why wouldn't there be a file in this case? Well, it comes back to what we discussed in the first of these episodes, or rather the, the, the first looking at the final report, which is the fact that the process... Just hadn't been followed none of this none of the end of life you know the end of project you did know, the, the if you like the later grip stages is another way to look at this if you're a, within railway parlance none of the later design uh, kind of the post design and post construction phases really were carried out clearly construction was completed and they moved on without thinking about it so none of these processes so health and safety file as built none of them were, were carried through and network rail didn't appropriately chase to get hold of them um so uh, lots of information here about this uh, which we're going to skip through to be honest there's, there's there's a discussion here about the about the number of emergency um co- you know the, the the extreme weather calls you can see um, not many in 2014 50 peak in peak in 2018. Sorry, I'm yawning because I don't drink enough water and because I talk a lot without breathing. This is this is a thing I need to learn to do better, which is to stop and breathe. But the thing is, I have to say a lot of words in a very short space of time. Mm uh Lin Manfu all these failures on ellipse um flowed from Carillion's failure to hand over properly yes absolutely the the, the failed hand, handover was was a serious if you want me to spot questions by the way make sure to at, at me uh at me in so that my name appears in red yes it helps me to to spot questions so uh yeah as I say we'll we'll, we'll flick through that there's there's not um yeah duh, 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 duh. this this report duh, okay so there's there's some discussion here, but I think it's tangential, given the given the conclusion. So um, that was the, the kind of the, the causal factors. Now the underlying factors, uh, we've got a few underlying factors here. So management of extreme rainfall events, network rails management process had not addressed weaknesses in the way it mitigated the consequences of extreme rainfall events. So again, we, we talked about this last time, but this expands on it in quite a lot of detail. So again, I'm going to jump through these. There's a discussion of the organization, Um, The awareness of extreme weather events uh, generally within senior management, Um, lots of lots of information we can look at. Um, Yeah, this is interesting. So this is an this is an output, this graph graphic here, it looks a bit like a geological slice, but it's actually an output of the train accident precursor indicator model showing the rise in risk associated with earthwork failure relative to other precursors. Um, this is what I wrote about in my piece before Carmen happened and then obviously Carmen happened which is the fact that I, and actually I hadn't seen this data this was just based on my understanding of what was happening and looking at the data that was more easily publicly accessible which this would have been publicly accessible I just didn't know about it this is this is you can see this this sort of this light blue here um this bit that I'm hovering my hand over is the bit that's got worse which is all about earthworks everything else relatively either the same or reduced um uh you can see even level crossings there is thinning out. But Earthworks, massive jump, massive, massive jump there. Um, so, uh, what else? Network Rail's approach to the management of extreme rainfall events. Yep, yeah, capturing that this is an issue. Uh, the next one, Network Rail, sorry, measures for the management of extreme weather events. Despite an increasing awareness of the threat, Network Rail had not sufficiently recognized that its existing measures did not fully address the risk from extreme rainfall events, such as summer convective storms. Yeah, so um, and it goes through a lot of features. So the the, the climate adaptation strategy, um, pointing out here, um, we actually went through this, didn't we? We went through the the, the previous version of this. Um, so there's there's some information here in identification identification of at risk earthworks. Their overall approach to management of earthwork failures due to extreme rainfall. Uh, kind of lots of assessment of of information here. Uh, and again, I, I recommend everyone goes through, I'm not going to read this in person, but it, it's it's worth digging into this sort of um, middle eight, if you like, that, that kind of goes through some of those details, some of the details of this. Um, there's there's some, yeah, there's a task force that was, um, yeah, Weather Advisory Task Force was uh, chaired by Dame uh, Julia Sl- Slingo, and um, and uh, concluded that the weather alert thresholds used operationally to mitigate weather-associated risks and manage safe train operations require a major overhaul. They need to be dynamic in space and time to be based on multiple predictors and to reflect the variations in exposure and vulnerability across the network. Um, the task force also reflects on the ability of Network Rail to implement effective measures for the management of weather risk. Weather pervades many aspects of Network Rail's operations beyond daily weather alerts and with a diverse range of needs. There does not seem to be a central core of expertise, an authoritative voice that can be drawn on to ensure that weather science and data are used correctly and coherently across the organization. There also seem to be a lack of coherence on the procurement of weather. At uh, of expert weather and flooding services, combined with a lack of knowledge of existing external capabilities that could be levered, rather than procuring something new. This is a good one. Uh, someone remind me to quote this back to Alex Priestley when he appears on the episode that we'll get him in for talking about um, uh, what the Met Office can do for Network Rail, because uh, that quote there is is basically saying rely on the network, you know, work more closely with the Met Office essentially. Um, uh, management assurance of network operational control functions. This is another, um, you know, these processes. This is RAI picking up that these processes did these processes did not highlight the extent of any areas of weakness in the implementation. Of extreme weather processes in route controls, or that the controllers lack the necessary skills and resources um, to effectively manage complex weather related situations. Consequently, significant areas of weakness in the railway's risk mitigation measures were not fully addressed. This is a management failure. The problems we've addressed in the previous episode about this um, ultimately weren't picked up by management. That's essentially what this section is saying. So, there's stuff about audit, control, auditing of control functions, management awareness generally about working practices. Um, and then the last uh, kind of kind of underlying factor here is the broad risk awareness. So the railway industry's risk assessments had clearly signaled that earthwork drainage failure due to extreme rainfall was a significant threat to the safety of the railway. However, they had not clearly identified potential areas of weakness in the existing operational mitigation measures. So again, uh, safety decision-making, earth, the, the prediction of earthwork potential earthwork failures. You, know, you can see the number of earthwork failures here steadily climbing. Um, you can see that the sort of uh, seasonal cycles there this is over a fairly short short period uh is the rolling average the rolling average sort of not um yeah not they're not increasing that much but it, it, it's a shame they haven't got the rolling average running into previous years i have a sneaking suspicion it's because um the data set doesn't exist before january 2006 so there's only so much we can do to really trace this but uh, yeah it'd be interesting to, there's a, there's a project out there to actually work out what those failures look like beforehand in some way that can be equivalent kind of um, made equivalent to the modern way of measuring an earthworks failure um so yeah there's lots of data about the frequency of earthworks failures uh, you can see here in fact there's lots of good data here to take your teeth into about earthworks failures and the and the likelihood of the, the increasing likelihood of them happening um so yeah you can see again the the uh, PIM control chart, the, the, what was the PIM again, PIM, PIM data, that was the likelihood of a, of a overall, a predictor. it's a basically a predictor, um, predictor data, you can see there's a the, a big jump in the, in the numbers in kind of in, in recent years here, so this is, um, it does not provide any detailed insight, as to the various failure modes, yeah fine, so I, I, I want to jump through this, you can see um, in recent years, there's been a great leap in the number of um, embankment and cutting failures, so that, that kind of a great leap in recent years. Um, yeah, you can see the, the, the kind of the, the failures and storm days plotted against each other, um, kind of in, in relation to each other here, so you can sort of see a bit of a comparison. Um, days with a storm, okay, yeah, so anyway, sorry, I'm, 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 there's some more data about st- annual rainfall figures and general data. Um, there's a general look at engineering risk analysis, which is which is certainly relevant for us to look at. They're talking about bowtie methodology for assessing threats, causes, and consequences. Um, preventative, con- yeah, okay, so that's fine. Um, understand, yeah, so so improving the strength of earthworks and also resolving the the kind of mitigating the uh, the the consequences of a failure as well. So that's the kind of the preventative, the, the, the proactive and the reactive uh, controls there, if you like. Um, lots of data there, lots of information there. Corporate learning, another kind of uh, kind of uh, RIB have picked this out. The fact that there's just not been enough corporate learning for Network Rail to to mitigate these uh, consequences of of, of these uh, of the events at, uh, leading up to Carment. Uh, lots of events listed off here that that are that could have been had similar consequences. Um, so you can see here lots of you know, drainage not meant. The notes are like block drain, drainage failure. F- the, more drainage issues water concentration water water drainage blocked stream water concentration these are all very similar oh that's carmen at the end there um lots of lots of very similar root. lots of similar causes here um so again this is a very good there's, there's there's probably a story in here to, that I could pull out. In fact, looking at this kind of these last sort of these middle sections, looking at um, the interaction of earthworks, weather, and, and management failures, it's um, yeah. So there's lots of lots of similar events that have happened before that just weren't picked up and learned. Uh, it's a really key one. This is why these sorts you know. It's why discussing this now here is is all fine and good. But it needs, these sorts of discussions need to be happening across Network Rail. I've not heard enough people talk about the Carmen um report actually in 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 safety moments i need to need to bring up in a few so again rainfall earthworks failures looking at this data again um and i think maybe this is worth picking up and and maybe discussing um you know earthworks versus railways might be an interesting episode just pulling out some of this data here because there's quite a bit um, and indeed i'm going to roll on through these quite a bit so um we're going to now look at the the examination of the consequences of the derailment. So RIB has considered the following factors in relation to the. Con- I'm conscious it's 22 already. This is definitely going to go go longer, isn't it? RIB is considered the following factors in relation to the consequences of the derailment: uh, train speed, local topography, proximity to a bridge, the unusually low number of passengers on the train because the accident occurred during COVID, uh, structural damage to the vehicles, cause of injury, crashworthiness performance of the vehicles, comparison with modern rolling stock, guidance of derailed vehicles, fire, evacuation, emergency egress. So we're going to go through as many of these as we can, uh, in what is a very short space of time, frankly. Um, but I have a feeling we might not only get partway through it, actually, I'm trying to think how to, how best to do this. We might have to, um, yeah, okay. Okay. I should have done this as a, as a two hour pre-record, basically, shouldn't we? Um, Gareth Williams is pointing out that, um, getting rid of staff doesn't really help with corporate learning. Absolutely. Uh, yeah vigorously agree with that absolutely oh so um the reason i'm hesitating is because i kind of wouldn't mind it all of the crashworthiness stuff being in one episode but then we haven't really covered anything in this episode if we don't um if we don't if we don't get into it let's get through it let's, let's let's see where we get to so the derailment occurred at a speed of 73 miles an hour um speed and train mass both affect the amount of kinetic energy that has to be absorbed before vehicles come to rest ideally derailed train should remain upright run close to its track uh, thereby, thereby avoiding impacts with other trains and infrastructure. This maximizes the chances of the train's kinetic energy being absorbed gradually by the train's brakes um, and the plowing of the ballast uh, by derailed wheel sets. Such energy absorption maximizes the chances of a safe outcome for those on board. However, in real-world accidents, there are often features of the, of the track, for example, curves, points, surrounding topography, for example, embankments, and vehicle characteristics which cause derailed vehicles to deviate from the track. The vehicles may then scatter, collide with infrastructure or other vehicles, and roll over, all of which significantly increases the risk of injury to those on board. So, it's worth going through and point, picking out some of these features. I think we might go through some of these, the initial run-up, and then look specifically at crashworthiness. What I'll do is, eventually, I'll go back and I'll rename these episodes to kind of discuss what what things we've kind of covered in them, so it's a bit easier for people to, to root find within them. Uh, I think that's probably what I'll do. Um, uh Uh, so uh, the curvature of the track at the location of the derailment people are just keeping me up to date with my train in the the chat thanks everyone one mic uh, zero zero is currently uh running four minutes late thank you so um the curvature of the track at the location of the derailment was a significant factor in the outcome once the trainer derailed at the washout the front of the leading power car deviated away from the track to the left most of the deviation around 650 millimeters was caused by the train running straight ahead along the tangent line as the track curved to the right. A second factor which is likely to have aggravated the deviation was that the CESS was an estimated 200mm lower than the top of the sleeper level, which would have tended to roll the leading bogey to the left. A third factor could have been greater ballast drag on the left wheels of the leading bogey as the right-hand wheels were running over sleepers, tending to yaw the bogey anti-clockwise, so to the left. So that's three factors. Um all helping to, to to pull that train over to one side, um, uh, you know, towards the parapet. The increasing deviation of the leading bogie from the track, which resulted from a combination of these factors, helped the right-hand wheels to climb over the left-hand rail, and put the power car, sorry, the right-hand wheels, so the back of the right-hand wheels climbing over the left-hand rail, put the power car on a collision course with the end of the bridge parapet. The train collided with the end of the parapet, with the train's line slightly to the right of the parapet centre. Uh, the parapet was almost parallel to the track, and the position of the impact meant that it could not guide the power car into the area between the parapet walls. Um, yeah, okay. Um, the collision knocked a substantial amount of masonry from the end of the parapet, and um, before the bogey ran along the top of the parapet, skimming off the coping uh, the upper layer of masonry. The force of the collision is likely to have caused the power car to yaw even further to to the left and off the bridge. The presence of the bridge meant that once the power car ran onto it, in its laterally displaced attitude, its left-hand wheels were no longer supported, causing the power car to veer off the bridge near its mid-span and down to the embankment below. It came to rest on its left-hand side and at an angle with its leading end around 7 metres below track level. The movement of the leading power car to the left is likely to have dragged the leading end of Coach D to the left. I'm reading this verbatim because it's kind of important and hopefully useful. Beyond the bridge, other topographical features aggravated the amount of jackknifing and general vehicle scatter. Firstly, the wooded bank rising up the right-hand side of the railway stopped Coach C abruptly after it had run through some trees. This led to Coach C pivoting about its leading end and rotating clockwise as its trailing end was pushed by the rest of the train. Subsequently, this brought it into collision with Coach A and detached bogies ending its travel by rolling onto its roof on top of coach D. The motion of coach C also pushed the leading end of coach B down the steep embankment to the left-hand side of the railway. So those are some factors in relation to the, the circ- broad circumstances of the derailment. Um, low passenger numbers due to COVID pandemics So the next thing we're going to look at is the fact that you know COVID was happening, uh, which... Um, Resulted in a lockdown in the Aberdeen area, in addition to a drop of around sixty-five percent. Yes, so this is basically saying there's a big drop in passenger numbers at the time. Uh, oh, here is where the cab used to be. If you want an idea of how how little protection there is for um, drivers within the within the HST power car, this is all that was left of the cab of the of the train here. And we're going to kind of zoom in and scroll through, I think, um, to, to kind of stop the skipping and so you can see what's going on. I wonder if I can... Uh, the answer is no, I cannot. If I do this, it's not going to let me scroll piece by piece. Okay, fine. Um. So, ScotRail provided an estimate to the IRB of how many passengers they'd have expected to see on the train in normal times, and it was between 25 and 50 passengers. Um. So that's substantially more than were on the train at the time. There were six passengers on the train at the time, I think. Three staff, six pa- or was it two staff and six uh, and seven? six passengers and one off-duty uh, staff member. It's a substantial number more people who would have been on that train. And so the RRB are pretty explicit about this. The circumstances of the accident, accident and the resulting movements of the vehicles were such that with normal passenger numbers, the casualty toll would almost certainly have been significantly higher. So... This is, an, this is a, a critical line that's key for everyone to understand. This is a key point. The reason why there were not more fatalities as a result of this crash was not anything to do with the vehicle. It was entirely because the train was almost empty. It had between three and six times fewer passengers on board. That's absolutely critical, right? That's key. So now we're going to go through the structural damage to the vehicles and go through these... This is this will be quite detailed and probably take us through to the end of the episode. Actually, which is looking at just looking in detail at the damage that happened to each of the vehicles, and then we'll look at sort of summarising the the outcomes a, a bit later on. Probably probably next in the next episode, which won't be in two episodes' time; it'll be in three episodes' time because we've got the next two booked up. So I'm going to go through this again. I'm 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 going to try and avoid reading too much verbatim, but a lot of it basically is written fairly succinctly, so it's, it makes sense for me to just read verbatim. So. Um, the front of the leading power car you can see they're just totally gone so we're going to go through as a result of the derailment the leading power car and all four passenger coaches suffered substantial damage the extent of the damage reduced progressively towards the rear of the train the trailing power car did not suffer any significant damage so that's pretty obvious when the leading power car struck the embankment below the bridge the driver's cab which was manufactured from glass fiber reinforced plastic grp broke up and became completely detached The cab front, windscreen, roof and left-hand side remained attached together and came to rest at the bottom of the embankment slope. The detached cab floor and driver's desk remained close to the leading end of the power car. At the trailing end of the power car, the roof and right-hand body side were severely damaged during the interaction with Coach D on the bridge. The underframe and equipment mounted on it were also severely damaged. You can see that the underframe here, all the equipment is gone. The leading bogey became detached and was buried under the power car when it struck the embankment. The trailing bogey remained attached. Both bogeys suffered extensive damage, particularly the leading bogey, which had collided with the bridge parapet. It's just It's just mind-blowing. that If you consider what modern crashworthiness structures look like, right, this is just... Um, Tom is asking if there's any crash structure to protect the driver of these trains. Or is it just fiberglass? There is. It's worth reiterating: absolutely no crashworthiness structure protecting drivers in HSTs. Absolutely none. It's a flatbed wagon with the engine mounted in the rear and the cab mounted at the front with fiberglass only. That is all it is. So that's why this just completely detached and disintegrated when the during the the, the collision. Just absolutely appalling. I know there are going to be drivers watching this right now. I know at least two who are watching. Um, it's just appalling. I, I just, yeah, I think it's absolutely right that these. A you know, lot of people are like, oh, well, you have to, you should be taking all the other trains off the off the network that are Mark III based. Well, firstly, no, because they have a very different risk profile. So a risk assessment looking at all the other multiple units would would conclude that they are quite different vehicles. They behave quite differently. Their couplers are different but also the it would conclude that the, the way that the vehicle the fact that the vehicle is much lighter means that they have different energy profiles also the fact that the drivers are within a are, are generally within a okay much smaller less pleasant space but they are within a, a, a kind of the integral body shell of the vehicle rather than um, a bathtub that's been flipped onto at 45 degree up, upside down uh, 135 degrees and then taped to the front of the train you know it's just it's just appalling um it's, it is shameful. It is shameful the way these are designed. Um, so here's the rear of the leading power car, which you can see has been crushed and smashed a Um Yeah, really heavily damaged. The first, so that, that that's kind of what the rear of the power car, and also this gives us a good view of, of the the couplers, which are absolutely hopeless. You can see there's this Johnny coupler that's just not, just really a, it's, it's a very weak, uh, weak coupler. Uh, this particular design of Johnny coupler. Um, The first passenger coach, Coach D, suffered the greatest damage of any passenger vehicle, mainly to the leading half. There was severe damage to the gangway pillars and corner pillars at the leading end of the vehicle, which had sheared off at their attachment to the vehicle underframe, resulting in complete loss of survival space in the leading vestibule. This damage occurred when Coach D overrode the rear of the leading power car just after the power car had impacted the bridge parapet. We'll come to that, if if not this episode, when we'll come back to that point uh, later when we talk about... coupler strength. Later in the sequence of events when Coach D rolled over onto its roof the prior damage to its leading end meant that the integrity of the body shell had been compromised and this led to a partial collapse of the leading half of the body sides and further significant loss of survival space in that area. The body sides had creased along a line below the windows and several body side skin panels had split along weld lines. This splitting was also seen on other vehicles which had not been subject to such severe deformation and is discussed further at paragraph 501. Both bogies became detached, and there was extensive damage to underframe equipment. The collapsed roof and body sides on Coach D also caused substantial disruption to the interior furniture, light fittings, and trim panels in the leading half of the vehicle, but the seats and tables remained detached. Okay, fine. Uh, almost all of it, windows in the leading half of the vehicle, were broken through. Both bogies became detached, and most of the underframe equipment was ripped off. Here is Coach D. Um, we'll get to where people were in the train, so Carl, uh, briefly... So, yeah, Coach D is a leading coach at the time of the accident, uh, Gareth, yeah. Uh, So here you can see the train. I mean, they talk about survival space being completely compromised at the the leading end, but I have to say, like, they're fairly optimistic about, if you look at the next picture, they're pretty optimistic about survival space. I would not like to be in this, um, in the train, inside the train, given this total collapse and disintegration of its... Yeah, you know, look, it's it's just it's been totally smooshed over. The whole thing has been crushed like a like a loo roll. Just look at it. This is absolutely horrific. Yeah, bleak. Um The second coach, Coach C sustained damage to the leading vestibule, which had struck trees and the rising bank on the right hand side of the railway. Um there was localized penetration damage to the trailing left hand side. Uh, most likely as a result of impacts with detached bogies. Again, we'll come back to that. Um, there was al- also penetration damage to the trailing right-hand side where Coach A had struck Coach C, leading- leaving a part of Coach A's cant rail, which is a longitudinal structural member running along the vehicle length above the windows, embedded in the side of Coach C. Um, crikey, what was that? Coach A... Wait a minute. Coach A had struck Coach C, leaving a part of Coach A's camp rail embedded in the side of Coach C. Yeah. Four windows along the left tra- trailing side were broken through. The coach retained its survival space and the interior furniture remained in place, except within a localised area at the trailing end, where the seats had been pushed into the aisle as a result of a penetration of penetration damage to the left-hand body side. Um, both bogies became detached and there was severe damage to underside, uh, under-frame equipment. So you can see that the, the, the leading end looks pretty good, actually. Uh survival space pretty well intact this is where the mark this is where so this has been submitted to the sorts of forces where that lead people to say mark threes are great uh you know wrongly because this has survived pretty well but that's because the forces are were much less eccentric by which i mean they were pretty much like end-on forces for this end you'd see as soon as there's any sort of eccentric or moment forces or crushing or rollover forces um that survival space is impacted horribly. Uh, you can see the damage. That's pretty significant damage to the to this to the end of this vehicle here. Um, the third coach, Coach B, suffered substanti- uh, sustained sub- sustained substantial damage to the right-hand body side. Uh, the roof, which had been hauled, and its underframe equipment. Uh, both bogies became detached. There was damage to the leading vestibule and detachment of an internal roof panel in the adjacent toilet, which had dropped but was held up by its secondary restraint. All the windows on the right-hand side and most of those on the left-hand side were broken through. There's no significant loss of survival space. This coach later caught fire, which resulted in most of the vehicle's interior being burnt and the detachment of interior furniture in the trailing two-thirds of the vehicle. That happened kind of after the crash. Um, uh, that's sort of the uh, yeah, that's sort of a, k- a key point to my mention. So I'm going to just yeah, um, some discussion here, which I think is worth picking up. Uh, Adam Evans, do you think uh, due to how aesthetically modern Class 43s have been through their entire service life leads people to believe leads to people believing it's up to modern standards? Possibly, there's certainly aesthetic. Feel. I think a lot of the discussion is because these are the trains, these trains feel modern to a lot of people who write about or write rail policy. And so there's a particular belief, and we're going to touch on it, and, and yes, I'm talking about people who uh, don't watch Rail anymore as frequently, but did watch it, Um did watch it until I did the interim report episode. I'm not going to name names, but those certain people of a certain generation of of rail writer are, are just see these as modern trains, and they do, and they and they remember all the stories of them be performing well in the crashes through the through the, through the 80s, and performing okay in crashes that seemed extreme through the 90s. Although I'd argue that that again modern trains would have performed better, but there weren't any. The the, the thing with the 90s crashes is yes, again. Modern trains would have performed better, but none really existed. Whereas now active, particularly in this instance, an active choice was made, uh, an active choice was made to go for an older train rather than a new train. And as I'll point out, definitely not in this episode, um, uh, yeah, as I point out definitely not in this episode, um, the cost of choosing a new train versus retaining the HSTs was marginal. Okay, it was, it was it was it was an amount, but it was not enough to justify, given the short lifespan of these of the of these HSTs versus if they procured a bi-mode train, not enough to justify. It, I have to say. Um, David Chapman was asking about the risk to, about fire fire risk and electrified trains, uh, removing the risk of train fires. No, as we'll find out um, shortly, David, uh, not necessarily because it wasn't fuel that caused these fires. We'll get to that. Um. So, the fourth coach suffered damage to the leading vestibule and localized damage to both body sides. There was no significant loss of survival space. The leading bogey in its pivot became detached and underframe equipment was severely damaged. Several windows were also shattered, but not broken through. The interior remained intact. The trailing power car did not suffer any significant damage. So, um, we've got maybe 10 minutes. I'm going to just go... I'm going to briefly go big face while I just flick through and have a look at what... Um, kind of what's left to kind of go through. Yeah, okay, we are going to go through this. This is a pretty grim way to end the episode, though, I have to say. Um, So uh, let's go back to to my small face. Going to do a bit, probably, in fact, you know what? So we're going to start the next episode with causes of injury. um, And I think that'll be time for us. We'll we'll not have any news. We'll not do any um, COVID stuff. I think that'll be time for us to cover Crash Worthiness. We'll see where we get to. I'm not making any promises because I'll just break the promises. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's worth us. I, I just want to take time on this. I don't want to rush. And this This section is certainly one I don't want to rush through. So I think what I'm going to do is, this is a short one, and I, and I know that some of you are hoping that I'd cover everything here, but... That, uh, I don't want to rush this and I think it's right that we that we continue to I think the next one will be a longer episode I'll make a point of it of, of making sure that it can be a longer episode and we'll cover everything in the next episode we'll, we'll, we'll close out we'll summarize we'll finish everything else um in the next episode I'm gonna go big face again and um and pull us through to the the appropriate slide um so that I can do yes um yeah um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna gonna draw it the draw it the, to a close now i think um yeah um everyone th- thanks for watching i know it's um yeah i think going through i think ending on the the way that people were injured and killed is is not i think i think that's probably a way for us to to frame i think that's the, that's the job to i think that's that's how we're going to frame there, there are a few more things to discuss actually i think uh, there are a couple more points that, that were made um Let's see. Uh, Martha was making a point. Yeah, that the HSTs were justified by survey. data, an awful survey. I'll point out, it was a really rubbish survey, where people said they liked riding on the trains that run to or from London over the Scotrail Turbo Stars. Um, that, yeah, exactly. The fact that those trains had nine coaches and weren't always rammed, um, which was clearly absolutely the deciding factor rather than anything about seats. It's just such a. It was such a bad, awful, awful survey. Just, just basically used to justify a cost-cutting exercise. I, 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 see no other way that it can be justified. People just like a train that doesn't feel rammed. The one seventies were always rammed. They are always absolutely rammed. So obviously, people wanted to go for a train that wasn't rammed because it had nine coaches. Absolutely, Martha. Fully agree. Um. Uh, let's see. Um. Yes. Okay. Uh, any other questions that we can go? Through? We've we've got a, a minute or two. Right? I can do some more questions. Uh, Kate is saying that. Um, Katie gets the feeling that most politicians qualify modern rolling stock as it has automatic doors, yeah, or isn't steam, uh, yeah, quite. Um, uh, any chance for the next discussion that I have uh, an overhead image with car letters showing it? As, as it's a bit confusing as to where each one ended up. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, I'll maybe yeah, that's that's a, that's a very good point point check flaps. I'll, I'll try and um, I'll try and I'll try and work out a way to capture that. Yeah. Um, yeah thanks thanks, Lynn yeah you're welcome it is an important topic and, and I know this is a short one and you haven't got the, the, the close out but I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll restructure these I'll rename the episodes and do redo the thumbnails so that they are more of a compact I'll, I'll probably go back to the, the interim report one and I'll, I'll make these a bit of a proper series so, so, so we can um, kind of capture them capture them people can find them uh, might make a, a little sort of a, kind of a, a playlist for these as well so people can kind of capture them uh, easily well worth us looking through, I think. Um, yes, right. Uh, let's go to my face, as ever. This will be available on podcast, uh, pod, all podcasting platform platforms. Um, might be a bit of a delay to this one because I'm going to be away until Tuesday, so it might be that this one and the next one end up being uploaded at the same time. Um, the but yeah, available on all good podcasting platforms uh, to support these sorts of things continuing to happen. to Support me making these happen um uh patreon.com slash gareth dennis where's a one mic zero zero got to by the way peter if you're still watching hi um you can get the merchandise from Masquette. please do that Masquette also uh i've I've sent you there's a second half to the message i sent you a while back that would be good to get an answer off um uh paypal.me slash gareth dennis uh is where you can go to chuck loose pennies at me and gareth dennis.co.uk slash discord for where the chat continues onwards and onwards um Yes, uh, I think um, next episode should be an interesting one. We have uh, my fellow Transport Select Committee um, uh, academic evidence provider, Professor Ian Doherty, is joining us um, next week, talking about the end of ScotRail's private life, uh, which is, um, I think, in more ways than one, should be an interesting, uh, should be an interesting episode because, of course, we had 25 years of private ScotRail ended; it's now returned to being not private. Uh, here's the uh, here's the the, the pre-private Scotrail branding, which is hopefully not going to be too dissimilar to the future Scotrail branding if they just uh, stick a stick a, a double arrow on it. Anyway, that's that's next week's episode. Oh, um, thanks everyone for watching. I'm now going to leg it to try and um, to try and catch a train. Uh, it's got very dingy, so I, I was going for natural light. Cause there's natural light rather than illumination for once, so I, uh, which is which is nice, because it's an absolutely beautiful night out there. I've even opened the window in front of me, which I never do. Normally, it's the blind pulled down so that I can see. It is gorgeous outside. Um, so I'm going to have probably quite a nice train journey all the way down to, to Brum. That's going to be a long one, isn't it? Crikey. Anyway, I need to go and get my train. Everyone's shouting at me to go and get my train. Um, uh, Scotland nationalising uh, buses would be lovely but unfortunately pretty much all the nationalized bus company uh, private bus companies d- d- came from scotland and there's a matter of smp pride that it'll never happen suitor et al never let it happen uh, i'd like them to i'd like it to happen of course um right adios i need to run uh Cheers, everyone. Take good care of yourselves, and um, and do send me your your buffers. But uh, there's going to be a bit of a delay because this week's been crazy. But um, yes. Bye. 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 Bye.